Hi, I'm Colin Cooper, and you're listening to the Harland Paul Football Log. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to part two of today's Harland Paul Football Log. We are still ensconced in our various separate studios. The break between podcasts has not given us time to reunite in the flesh, uh, so to speak. But nevertheless, we are ready and willing and able to continue on with today's podcast, and we're going to be talking about the story of Bebe, among other things that we, you may remember, we left the last podcast at a bit of a cliffhanger, as Hal told us that very few, if any, footballers have experienced a rise like his. Hal, will you tell us some more? Yes, in our boring and shit best, we, uh, <laughs> we do continue. Um, Bebe. Do you know what Bebe means? I do not know what it means. Is it baby? It is. I was going to say, you should have a guess. It is baby. Hooray! In, uh, in Portuguese, but actually Bebe. Uh, could, or maybe still could, I, I mean, so probably a bit late now, but I think, you know, really with his rise, he's going to play for Portugal. But if he wants to, uh, he has got Cape Verdean parents. So oh, right. Cape Verde, if they come calling, Bebe, you've got the, <laughs> you've got the two choices there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, one thing I didn't mention, I said he had a bit of a, a tricky upbringing. Uh, he, he is actually raised an orphan and uh, did, did quite literally live on the streets. So, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not the only... I was looking up Cape Verdean, because Cape Verdean and Portugal share this kind of unity. There was one or two other um, famous footballers who share that, uh, but one of the most interesting ones who's he's going to be meeting up with, hopefully, <laughs> I think if everything goes well, he certainly should, is uh, Nani of Manchester United. Yeah. Oh, uh, is this going to uh, be... They, yeah, okay. No, it's true. I mean, yeah, obviously, Nanny, Baby, there's a lot of uh, amusing puns that we could... We're not going to do that, Paul. No, we're, we're, we're better than that. This is absolutely true. It's just a coincidence. And maybe they just thought that having those amusing names, one day they'd link up and the whole thing has fallen into place and uh, isn't the uh, cosmic ordering absolutely incredible. But uh, that's not <laughs> really what I was going to going to talk about. Uh, it's just that having played in the, the... The one thing I wanted to get to was the Homeless World Cup. That's where yeah. he was... That's where uh, uh, apparently he, he, was, he was known and all this and blah, blah, blah. Well, ultimately, it's not true. Oh, really? Yeah, he didn't play. I did a, did a little bit of digging. He didn't actually play in the Homeless World Cup. Oh, I see. I have heard that he had been involved in that. And obviously, it's quite a nice story. Well, nice, but it's quite a sort of Hollywoodish story, isn't it? So, tell yeah. us more. Well, I, well I, there isn't really much more because it didn't happen. But if, if they do make the film... I think Hollywood will have him in the Homeless World Cup because it does make a much better story. Yeah. Uh, he was considered for selection, but uh, he didn't ultimately go through with it. So right. that's interesting, but if you hear people say that in the future, you can go, nah, I know that's not true. It, Very good. Also, if you want to know his name, it's not really, he wasn't christened. I mean, maybe he was originally a baby and then he would have been called Baby until they came up with the name because I know certainly people do that. But uh, is it his real name? When and to think somebody said we were shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tiago... Manuel Diaz-Correa. And uh, try getting that on the back of the shirt. Well, I was just going to say about the back of the shirt thing, because uh, we talked about this with a couple of um, people on Facebook and, and Twitter as well, and we got a great shout-out on uh, on our friendly rival podcast. Thanks very much to uh, to John Rudge for that. Of Port Vale fame, of course. He says he's been dining out on that for years. And um, <laughs> he was saying, obviously, I can see why they would put Bebe on the back instead of, you know, the entire... Spiel, the same way they put Ronaldo on the back of Ronaldo's shirt instead of Ronaldo, Nazario, Luis de Lima or whatever. Uh, but this new signing that uh, Manchester United have made, um, Javier Hernandez, has got Chicharito on the back of his name. On the back of his shirt, back sorry. Shirt. Yeah, apologies. And um, Jordi Cruyff had Jordi as well, and there are various others as well. What do you think about this nickname on the back of the shirt instead of your well, actual... I think the most famous early example was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank wanted uh, Jimmy yeah. on the back of his shirt. And indeed had it for the first game, I think, against Arsenal, which uh, Leeds uh, played. And then wasn't allowed it, according to the, the league. Now, mm. surely, one rule for one, one rule for all. Well, it, you know, it's uh, utilitarian, isn't it? The point that we were making was that um, Chicharito has got as many letters, if not more, than Hernandez. So it's not, you know, it, I can understand it if it's for shortening, you know, if your name is literally that long, the same way Kakar and, you know, a lot of South American players I know have got longer names. But you, I don't know if we could just start putting um, nicknames on there. I don't know if that works or not. Although, it is worth bearing in mind that the shirt I received as a gift from a class of mine, my favourite ever gift from, from pretty much anybody, not quite, but getting there, had my nickname on the back, not my actual name. So maybe I shouldn't throw stones from this particular glass house. I don't know uh, whether you would agree with that or not. 
Well, well, Kun Aguero has Kun Aguero. That's not shorter than his just surname of Aguero. Yep. It wouldn't change no matter what his father thought he uh, resembled. Yeah, so, very um, true. That's nonsense. I personally, and maybe we're being a bit kind of old-fashioned, but I just prefer normal, normal surnames. A shake of the hand when you score a goal and trudge back to the centre circle. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Half-time oranges and all the rest. Exactly. Yeah, it's worth shouting out to our other uh, Twitter friends, um, John Rudge or Corin as a hero. He's a big West Brom fan. And if you get a chance to look up Richard Sneaks as a toy shop, there will be many podcasts there for you to listen to. Although, sadly, I would recommend you listen to ours instead because that's my contractual obligation. But nevertheless, very nice of him to give us a shout-out before, so I'll return the favour to him. And um, I've already said hello to Laura, I think, who supported me through the recent spate of Newcastle United fans calling me a not-a-proper-supporter. A good job I didn't tell them that I haven't renewed my season ticket. I imagine that uh, they wouldn't be pleased with that at all. Well, I gave you a bit of a grilling about that. You I did, mean, I've yeah. I've renewed my season ticket, and I'm only going to be able to go to three games, but uh, there we are. Yeah, so but you're fun. an idiot, and people forget that about you, I think, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yes, you people... Go on, you carry on, then. No, what do you like? Oh, I know. Well, it's almost a think it is my podcast, and it's not. It's yours, too, so hit me, hit me with some uh, facts there, mate. Well, this idiot does get contacted by one or two people, and uh, I get personally emails because, unlike you, I sort of accept people who add me on Facebook. Yeah, I don't do that. Like, yeah, who are they? Oh, they listen to the log out, sorry. Well, um, we have an interesting uh, correspondence uh, about the supporters club of Real Mallorca, which is in England. All right, yeah, go on. And where do you think the best place to put the Real Mallorca supporters club of England is? Uh, <laughs> I can't begin to imagine. Is Sheffield? Is it? I was going to say, is it Sheffield? It is because El Gran Billy, who's uh, Billy Ferguson, a Sheffield United fan <laughs> and Real Mallorca fan, has uh, set up the supporters club in uh, the, the only place, really, to, to set it up, which is the, uh, the Banner Cross pub, or uh, the Banner, as the kids in the street call it. So if you fancy El Banner, as they call it in... Uh, El Banner, yeah. <laughs> El Banner Cruz. If you fancy um, popping along, have a look down at Ecclesall Road in Sheffield, that's the S11 at the Bannercross pub, where uh, myself and El Gran Billy will be uh, reminiscing over uh, Real Mallorca defeat. And you never know, you might find Alan Boxic in there practising his darts on his, uh, you know, on a sabbatical from Hutton Rugby in Middlesbrough. But um, speaking of Sheffield United, I know we've covered them a little bit already, but I just realised that post-recording we had a message from Adam Wilson, who um, I said on the Facebook group, you know, as I do, get involved, suggest some things we could talk about. He says uh, the departure of Kevin Blackall, which we did briefly cover, but can you answer, can you help me with his question, which is, should the chairman enter the dressing rooms and interfere or take a hands-off approach? As much as I wanted KB to go, Mr McCabe has a few awkward questions to answer. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that is if Adam believes that Kevin McCabe, the chairman of Sheffield United, went into the dressing room at full time, as apparently rumours are suggesting he did. Yeah. And in the middle of KB, that's Kevin Blackwell's, I don't want to call him too Kevin, uh, address to his uh, regiment, uh, was interrupted, uh, undermined, and basically just had to stand by whilst uh, Kevin McCabe berated his charges, who I think embarrassed him in front of a potential investor. Oh, right, so I see. That's possibly why he was so angry, because he's very out of character with Kevin McCabe. Now, I personally don't believe that happens, because as I just said, it is out of character. So sure. I, if I believe that, then, yeah, it's uh, well within the man who owns the club's rights to do whatever he wants. And if it's not true, which I don't think it is, uh, then it's completely uh, null and void and we don't need to talk about it. Fair enough. Well, OK. Uh, what, do you, what are your views on chairman getting involved in particular? I mean, it, it doesn't go down well with uh, players or managers, I think, by and large, does it? Didn't, didn't work on Dream Team. I mean, look what happened to that. Well, exactly. And that's, that's really a model for uh, everybody's life, I think, to this day, I would argue. It's almost case closed, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. Let's, uh, let's look at our Facebook group a little bit more because... Um, we have got a couple of things to finish up with, uh, but obviously I'd like us to talk about what the listeners have been getting involved with. And um, we talked about, first of all, the punditry. I mean, the England game, the punditry was at its usual, down to its usual standard uh, from ITV. And it is really, really poor. And I just put a, a thing on the Facebook group saying, right, this is really enough from ITV. And can we not start some sort of petition that says pundits are not allowed to be this poor? And we've had a lot, quite a lot of um, correspondence about that. Adam Harrison saying all football should be on Sky, which is, you know, a decent point, except I think Sky are almost as bad sometimes. Um, I think all football should be free, actually. All football should be, definitely, yeah. And and I think there should be a rule that you have to do at least some basic research into the players you're commentating on. That's what Sky tend to fall down on a little bit. Um, I was talking about this yesterday. Uh, We've got a new programme at Sheffield United. It was only £1 yesterday. Brand new programme. Is it smaller than Albion's, or was it? No, not 
It was interesting because I think the people that regularly buy a program are the people that know a little bit more and need a little bit more meat in their pie. Yeah. They need a little bit more you know, <laughs> so information. They need a bit more information. I was reading through the QPR, because I always turn to the opposition team, because I know my, my own team. Yeah, yeah. So I turn to the opposition page straight away, and I read about who they've got facing us today. And it sort of gets to things like Patrick Kenny. It just says next to it, Patrick Kenny, former Sheffield United goalkeeper, out last year for drugs ban, full stop. And you're thinking... It's not okay. the whole story, is it? Well, not only that, we know that. Yeah. Give us something we don't know. Because actually this is where you can make it interesting. This is where the, the programme can go beyond other programmes. And if I was writing the programme, I would look up something we didn't, well, most people didn't already know. Not scandalous stuff. Just yeah. interesting facts. And you know, Paddy Kenny kept like seven clean sheets in a row when playing for Bury. Something like that. Throw that sort of stuff in. Nice, I, yeah. I know that that's a loser. would find that interesting. But yeah, they don't. It's just basics. And I think that that's uh, reminiscent of what we're kind of talking about at the moment. The thing is, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult um, line to toe because of the programme thing, I think, is a very valid point and I think I would uh, most heartily agree with you having read a lot of Newcastle's programmes last season. But, of course, when, you listen, when you're watching football on telly, there is an argument to be made that maybe you don't need to inundate everybody with stats every five minutes. But there's got to be a fine line. If you, first of all, pundits need to learn that you don't have to talk all the time. Silence is fine. We're watching the football and we know that people are passing it. So, you know, that's great. Second of all, um, you need to know a little bit about the player. So I would rather we had stats like that about Paddy Kenny, because that's a 30-second that's a, that's a statistic or less than that, um, which is interesting and certainly more interesting than things like, well, when he hits them, they stay hit. Thanks to Andy Townsend for that. So, you know, I, w- certainly when in the programmes we need more. And just, you know, on live TV as well. I mean, Craig Gore is saying here, how bad is Tildesley? Lack of basic knowledge and disrespectful. Um, and there is there is a lack of basic I mean, I know we've talked about this before, and... Um, uh, Adam Harrison suggests maybe Dean Windass and Chris Kamara as future pundits. Uh, I would love that. Um, it wouldn't be any better, stand, but it would be hilarious. I, Chris Kamara, yeah, just just for comedy value. But I don't find Windass funny. I know some people find him funny, but Chris Kamara has kind of like an innocent charm when yeah. he makes a mistake. The thing is, though, he's not actually anyway. He does know his stuff as well, uh, Kamara. I know he's kind of a bit sort of he plays this character of kind of doddery old Chris Kamara and. But, you know, I've no doubt that if you actually sat him down and talked about football with him, he would know his way around um, some analysis. Uh, but, you know, Greg Darby here says it very well. I, th- I don't need to add anything to what Greg says here, I think. Uh, the whole World Cup was a debacle, pundits-wise. Adebayo with his phone, Dixon saying he wanted to see more from a player that had been subbed, and Sadov not knowing the name of the highest scorer in Italy. That sums it up particularly well, I think. <laughs> we, we, uh, and we did cover it, which is why I don't want to hammer on about it for ages, but... The, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I mean, the Football League show was terrible last night. Again, you know, they've had a whole summer to work on what must have been a lot of criticism that they had. And, you know, we talked about it, you know, this thing of reading the fans' emails out and, and then spending, you know, showing 30 seconds of each game and then talking nonsense about it for two minutes. You know, there's got to be a better way to manage the highlights, surely. Yeah, it was it was disappointingly poor. They keep getting people's names wrong. First week, Jamie Mackey was called uh, Jamie Macken. Right. And uh, yesterday... yesterday David Cottrell was called Steve Cottrell. <laughs> yeah, that is quite a, a... That's the sort of mistake I would make. It's glaring, though, because they've had a chance to... They've had a chance to edit it. You know, this isn't on live. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a long time after the game. Yeah. You've got time to look oh, at... Oh, in, in the commentary or in the in the chat? Yeah, in the commentary. In yeah, the commentary. yeah. I was going to say, because the chat is... I think the chat is live, isn't it? But, um, but not in the commentary. No, it's all uh, in the commentary. That's disappointing. Disappointing. Well, we also managed to talk about more enjoyable things on the Facebook group, and this was the best football game of all time. It actually started as a straight-up competition between FIFA and ProEv, because obviously the, the football log is proud to nail its colours to the Pro Evolution Soccer mass, I think it's fair to say. We should, we should caveat that with, we haven't really tried FIFA. Well, no, you see, you say that, but I've been getting into FIFA, well, no, I haven't been getting into it, but I've been playing FIFA a little bit, because um, a couple of people up here that I know have only got FIFA. So while I've been in in your absence, basically, I've had to get used to FIFA, the 2010 World Cup game. So I, I haven't played it. I certainly haven't played it anywhere near as much as I've played uh, Pro Ever, and that's probably because I've played far too much Pro Ever in my time. But um, FIFA, I have played it enough now that I feel like I can be a bit more objective about it, rather than just saying I don't like it because it's the first couple of times, so I keep getting beaten. I, I still yeah. I still don't like it. And possibly, I mean, you know, it's just what you're used to, isn't it? But I, I am still of the opinion that Pro is the superior game. But then, 
like cosmetically and uh, in terms of like getting names right and things like that, it, it is better. Yeah, definitely. And this is the thing. I mean, it's so annoying on Pro that you know the, the Man Red and North Liverpool Left or whatever they're called. No, they wouldn't be called that, would they? Yeah, Mersey Merseyside Blue and all that. That is really irritating. Yeah, you know, maybe have Left in their name, but uh, <laughs> yeah, far right. Who knows? Let's uh, <laughs> not get that far right. Rome Light Blue Far Right. They're called, I think. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, look, Lazio on their own, being really called SS, I think so. <laughs> yes, I think we we need to cover that no further. And um, that is very frustrating. And also, I like certain touches on FIFA, you know, the the um, the bit before the game where you have a bit of practice, shooting practice with a player and stuff. I think, you know, there's a lot to recommend FIFA, but for actual straight-down-the-line gameplay in the actual uh, game itself, I still think that... Um, Superior, but perhaps we will change our minds one day. I don't know, but it did it did sort of devolve or evolve, I guess, into a discussion of our favourite um, football games. For example, uh, Gary Lineker's Superstar Soccer on Spectrum. It went that far back now, back to the Spectrum. If you could wait the 40 minutes they took to load, they were classics. Uh, I put in with Worldwide Soccer for the Sega Saturn, which was uh, an awful, awful football match, but gave them um, hours of endless pleasure just at how terrible the players were. Adam Wilson says, Chapman, of course, Chapman always needs a a shout. Um, Dan Bell Wilding says, I used to have uh, This Is Football, TIF, and it was really, really rubbish. Uh, Kieran Dyer on the front cover. The one I had had uh, Rio on the front cover, and um, it had a button for two-footed lunges and a button for diving, which was brilliant. So for, for terrible had, um, games, that's pretty good. International Superstar Soccer Deluxe. On the N64? Yeah, well, not on the N64. I had an even earlier one than that. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I also had a really good game on the Super Nintendo, which uh, was a very, very early FIFA game. Yeah, uh, which was a World Cup, and that was an international one. And that right. was, you could, every time you crossed the ball, no matter where the striker was on the pitch, you could press the diving header. Yeah, he would launch himself the halfway yeah. line to meet that ball. I, I, played, um, I played FIFA 94 on the Mega Drive about a year ago, which I was quite, uh, which, you know, I hadn't really played that much, and I was quite surprised that every single player was white. Mm. I don't understand that. Like, for example, and, and I played Euro 96 on the, compu- on the, on the PC. And um, Lillian Turam is white, and Yuri Djokaev is black. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where that went. But um, yes, on on FIFA '94, every player was white. Uh, perhaps it was made by a by a Lazio director. I, I don't know. Uh, that's just idle speculation. Um, Matt Whale says PS2 Pro Evo third gen console FIFA. So he's happy to spread his bets a little bit there. Um, but the best post we had about this was the footballing game story of our uh, friend, our mutual friend of the log. Uh, Paul RG, who has said, I'm going to read the whole post out because there are some classics mentioned here and, and do feel free to weigh in with any opinions on these. He says, this is my journey. I've changed my allegiance many times. Kickoff 2 on the Amiga 1992 was, a speci- was especially awesome if you had the full megabyte of RAM. I love that. Uh, back in the glory days. Uh, still on the Amiga, Sensible Soccer from 1994 um, was pretty good. Goal on the Amiga in 1996. He's still got an Amiga in 1996, which I think is... It's quite a, an indictment of his uh, development as a computer console-owning bot. Uh, 1997, FIFA 97, and the Road to the World Cup in 98, which we used to play as well, didn't we? Um, in 97, 98. I remember being gobsmacked at the commentator saying players' names. It made the game awesome on its own. Uh, Three Lions, uh, he doesn't mention that, but I think we should mention Three Lions. That's the best game of all. It's a, There's no real play there. For sheer gameplay, I've never played a better game, uh, even though you battered me on it heartlessly for years uh, and we can't find it now. I can't find it anyway but um, I have no idea where we can get that now no. yeah and then he says 1999 you switched to P- uh, Pro F2 on the PS2 a beautiful thing and stuck with uh, stuck with Pro F right through to about 2009 FIFA was like a swear word and how could anyone play it it looked pretty but played like a dog uh, but <laughs> then um, <laughs> bought FIFA 09 because he wasn't keen on the 2008 version of Pro Evan He's converted now to FIFA, so um, that's a bit disappointing. But he also said on the original uh, NES from, from 1990, there was a game called Worldwide Superstar Soccer and had elements of Street Fighter in it, which he's put a video up on the Facebook group. Try and find this if you can, because it's great. If you could mash the buttons in the correct sequence, you could perform a superstar strike. The ball would glow, fly around the screen in circles before flying into the net at warp speed. The great thing was that any opposition player in the ball's flight path would spend the rest of the match lying flat out on the floor with little birds flying around their head. Now, that is quality computer gameage. Yeah, nothing has ever come close no. to match that. I think we can all agree. And in fact, you can you can play a similar version of that online now. It's um, on the same site as the Robbie Baggio Free Kicks uh, site, so I'll try and find that and, uh, and stick that together. Are you going to be 
bring this sort of thing on the uh, the, the email. Yeah, well, yes, good good, good memory there. Um, I will tell you all about that. We are putting together, as you may remember from the last log, we've had a few people, uh, quite a few people uh, email in to sign up for that, so thank you for that. Uh, remember, if you can put um or tangerines for everybody, and at the moment it's a two-all draw. Other people have just said sign me up, please. But it's a two-all draw between um and tangerines for everybody. And you told me, Hal Stewart, that uh, um would win by a mile. And it is not winning by a mile. Uh, but if you send an email to football underscore log at yahoo.co.uk and just say, please sign me up for your mailing list, uh, all that it means is that we won't try and sell you anything. We just need your bank account and your sort code. And uh, we will send you just an, an occasional email, if you will, featuring funny YouTube links, uh, funny stories, gossip, ideas, opinions, things that we've been discussing uh, off air. Because Hal and I do actually, contrary to popular belief, um, socialise outside of this podcasting environment, although not as often as I would like since he's uh, abandoning me for Pastures Greener, or Pastures Southerner I suppose, and um, we would like to, you know, keep you in the loop on all of that stuff and keep people getting involved, because I really like the fact that people are getting involved with discussions they are coming together to um, fight with each other sometimes, but in a very kind of respectful way, I've liked that very much It's very public school, now we should uh, move <laughs> on seamlessly uh, seamlessly. Uh, if you can't say the word seamlessly, you're in trouble. Well, it's impossible uh, to, to move on seamlessly, isn't it, if you can't say the word, I suppose? Yes, it's absolutely. Uh, to the Blue Square Premier, because we don't like to ignore the conference. <laughs> no, we don't like to ignore the non-league, and I, I have a, an eye on the non-league, because, uh, as you know, I live near Darlington, and uh, we were both born and brought up, well, brought up, not born, either of us, in uh, York. <laughs> yes, and I wasn't brought up there either, but uh, yeah, I see your point. <laughs> seamlessly, yeah. as I say. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, both of them won yesterday, except York. Just to continue to uh, seamless link. Brilliant, okay. What, what, a great, a great uh, performance there for them, then. Darlington beat um, serial cheater Dean Holdsworth's team at uh, Newport County. 1-0 with a goal from Liam Hatch. If you can get on the BBC website, uh, if you can just get on there as quickly as possible and have a look at the picture of Liam Hatch celebrating the goal, all you need to do is get to the uh, non-league section okay. and nothing else. And you will see Darlington 1, Newport 0, and the picture of Liam Hatch <laughs> celebrating <laughs> Wow. It's worth it on its own. That's Add that to well, the we're having, we're having that on the group, I think. We should put that on the group. What a great away shirt as well. Uh, yeah, it's that. pretty loud, isn't it? It looks a bit like he's gone dressed as a cowboy to his uh, day job at McDonald's and uh, <laughs> he's been caught sneezing. Yeah, yeah. I don't really... Quite an image. I don't know how you would ever celebrate in that fashion, but uh, that's one. We've also got uh, York sadly losing to Kidderminster at home. A real surprise. Uh, one of the questions that was asked of manager Martin Foyle is, is that a hangover from the playoff final? Do you have any idea how long it has been since that playoff final? That was that was before I got married uh, that they actually played. Yeah, but people match. do people do say that it, it obviously they haven't been they haven't been playing during that time as well. So it could add to that, I suppose. Yeah, but. Kidderminster have had even longer off. Yeah. You ought to be over it by now, I think it's fair to say. Very different side as well that uh, York now have, so I'm not really sure. And, and to be fair to Foyle, he didn't buy it either. Uh, so that that was pretty much that. Fair enough. Is, is that I Foyle think, of Foyle's Harp? That, um, it's not the, no, it's not the same one. Uh, I wouldn't have okay. Is it Foyle's War, the ITV drama? Or is it? Yes. Right, okay. Just double-checking that then. Well, well, actually, those um, teams we care about in the non-league. Yeah, exactly. If you'd like us to talk about any other teams in the non-league, then uh, I would listen to another podcast if I were you. But we could, you could always uh, email in, I guess. I suppose we could do a bit of research, but probably not. I mean, we're trying to be professional football pundits, so research is kind of off the table. But talking about teams that are suffering from long hangovers, uh, we talked about the England match having been on last Wednesday. Also in action, of course, were France. Now, as you may remember, those of you, especially the Irish among you, who reveled in this summer's World Cup after all, France didn't do awfully well uh, at the World Cup, and there are various issues surrounding the game as we stand. But also, um, it's kind of rose, risen back to prominence a little bit through the uh, improving, improvement of various teams in the Champions League and some big money signings coming out of France, and uh, the future of French football, Laurent Blanc, taking quite a hefty stand against his players, or against the players that underperformed so badly at the World Cup, in a move that Capello sort of did half-heartedly by dropping the entire squad. So what I'd like us to do now is um, cut over to our correspondent on the case. I caught up with Offside Sarah from Offside Magazine. Uh, I don't think that's her real name. I think it's uh, to do with the company she works for, to discuss the French football situation. And uh, this is what we talked about. 
Bonsoir, Sarah, and welcome to the Hallam Paul Football Log. Lovely to speak to you. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, thanks. It's still afternoon for me. Oh, of course, you are. Tell, tell our intrepid listeners where you are at the moment. I'm, I'm in New York City. Fantastic. The international side of our podcast, can we do? We've never spoken to somebody so far afield. So you've been watching the league and games this afternoon. How have they been? Well, as, as I said earlier, as a Marseille fan who has had a dreadful start to the season, it's a little comforting that both Bordeaux and Lyon are also starting off not very well. Those three teams kind of create what I would call, you know, the league giants, you know. Yeah. I guess yeah. you could say they're similar to, like, a Manchester United, Chelsea, and I guess Arsenal now. I don't I don't know how your listeners feel about Liverpool, but I, I don't think when you don't make the Champions League, you, you can really be a giant anymore. No, I don't think so. I think we all sort of um, have a soft spot for Liverpool. I don't know where that's come from, and perhaps it's completely inaccurate, but I know Hal and I certainly do, and... I think we'd like them to be uh, challenging more so than Man United and Chelsea, but I think you're right. If you're going to finish seventh in the league, you can't really be called the giant of the game anymore. Well, as a Marseille, you know, I think Marseille fans also kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for Liverpool. A little less so since they beat us two years in a row in the Champions League group stage. Um, but they're very similar cities in the sense that they both tend to be kind of the gritty cities, lots of immigrants and stuff, so less, the less cosmopolitan compared to, like, Paris and stuff, so. I mean, talking about dominance in, in, in the French League, Lyon have been in the top three now for the past 12 years and obviously won several titles on the trot. And people are saying that Marseille might be on the rise again. Do you think there's some truth in that? I mean, obviously the season hasn't started the way you hoped, but do you think there could be a bit of truth that, that the League of Giants will exist and it might be a bit of more of a competitive league this time around? I mean, Lyon obviously had just a really incredible run. They, um, in the early thousands, they won seven consecutive titles. Um, and, you know, Bordeaux, when they won, I guess it was the 08-09 season, um, it was the first time in since seven years that Lyon hadn't won. Um, so that was an incredible breakthrough for the league because I think that a lot of people – you know, you don't want to watch want to watch a league when you the same person wins every year. That's not exciting, and it really kind of opened up um, when Bordeaux won, and then when Marseille won, it was you know this last season. It was an incredible. I mean, I say this as a Marseille fan, but it was an incredible rush because the club, um, I think, you know, is probably the best club in France, and it's historically you know one of the most successful. We have yeah. nine titles, um, so we're second to Saint Etienne as most league titles ever won. Um, and it had been 17 years since we had one. And kind of like like Newcastle, um, we had had a, a bit of run of bad luck of our own making. Um, we were involved in a uh, match-fixing scandal of the year that we won yeah. the, the Champions League until we were relegated. So coming back finally and winning again after that was an amazing feeling. Good, because I was thinking about the English League, and obviously we've, we kind of complain in this country that the top four are the only four who are likely to win the league, and realistically the last few years it's been Man United or Chelsea, um, but even then we've only had one of them, Man United won it three seasons in a row, and that's the longest anybody's gone without somebody else winning it, so I guess seven seasons in one go must have been slightly difficult for people to see light at the end of the tunnel if they weren't Lyon fans. Yes, and a lot of it is really because um, Lyon is... Is a very wealthy club because their president is their owner and he's a very wealthy man um, in itself. Right. And Leon has made very smart business decisions. I think uh, Leon president is, is really famous. He was actually profiled in that book, Soccernomics, for, you know, the amazing kind of profit he was able to make off of Etienne, who's now at Chelsea, um, mm -hmm. Abidal, who's at Barcelona. I mean, and he's, he's a tough man. I mean, these players have had to basically boycott training and just not go and just leave Lyon in order to basically force his hand to get him away, and he got a good price for them. Well, it's it's uh, it's not like French players to boycott training. Um, from what we've learned this summer, uh, I was going to ask you about sort of the fallout from the World Cup. Also, I mean, how people perceive the league in France. In in this country, we tend to find that all our media are obsessed with making the Premiership the best league in the world and the greatest and most exciting league in the world. And whether or not that's true, and we think it probably isn't. Um, I wondered if because France isn't maybe under the same spotlight internationally that the, the Premiership is, whether the people, you know, the fans of the clubs feel that they're partaking in this grand media spectacle or whether they are sort of still all about the football and, and still, you know, passionate about their team and not really bothered how the rest of the world sees the league. Um, I think that uh, League One fans, when we're talking about, you know, kind of the international perception, I think League One fans feel a little bitter that, 
the league is kind of perceived as a hunting ground um, for, you know, larger, you know, wealthier EPL or La Liga clubs. Um, I think that um, particularly there's, there's a little bit of annoyance and bitterness whenever, you know, there are players that we've recognized or have been talented for years. They've been, you know, doing the same tricks, scoring the same amazing goals, showing the same qualities in France and Liga for years, and then, you know, they go to Arsenal and they're suddenly, like, discovered, you know, and they kind of get credit for discovering these hidden gems when it's been really obvious to all the rest of us for years. I think there's probably a lot of, um, a lot to back that opinion up, I would say, and obviously the, there's always talk about the wages and, and all the rest of it, and there's also, a, there's a feeling that even within the European leagues, and, and with France being the size it is, and the, the kind of players that we have discovered in inverted commas because that is something that the um, Premier League are particularly proud of is finding players that nobody knew could play football despite having done it at the highest level and, and I wanted to actually talk to you about one of those players in just a moment but a player that the Premiership certainly feels like we discovered for ourselves and have certainly taken him on board as an adopted son of our country was uh, Eric Cantona who in fact didn't come over here as a 16-year-old, never had any experience. And um, I wondered, what's his legacy like in, in France now after, after all these years? I think that uh, Cantona's a really interesting character because, you know, I saw an interview with Thierry Henry once where he was talking about how, you know, in England he is like this god, and, you know, particularly with Arsenal fans because that's where he be- really became successful. You know, he played in France before um, for Monaco, and, I mean, he was okay, but he, he wasn't anything special. And, you know, Cantona is kind of the same thing because, you know, he, he was never successful in France and he was never successful with the France, you know, national team. And so he's kind of someone that, you know, sometimes will have players like a player named Hassan Benarfa, who you might be familiar with. A lot of people have said, you know, maybe he's kind of like Eric Cantona where he needs to leave France in order to be successful. I think that everyone in France, you know, we think that he's a little flashy and flamboyant um, and maybe a little crazy, but definitely, you know, a footballing legend, and he just, he didn't really use it for France. He more used it for Manchester United, and I mean, he even said, that, you know, that he supports England and the World Cup. I was going to say, because as, as much as um, as much as much England kind of took Cantona under its wing, he seems to have kind of turned his back on, on France in a way as well, saying that French uh, journalists don't appreciate his uh, genius and, and, like you say, supporting England in the World Cup. And I mean, I think the one friends kind of understand because, in a way, you know, he kind of got he kind of got a little bit screwed. I guess you could say if you were if you were a Cantona sympathist, you might say that he got screwed out of the French national team. Yeah. Um, obviously, because you know his basically his place was taken by Zidane. You know, as the playmaker, as the star, as the center of the team, just didn't take him. And everyone in France said it was a huge mistake. I mean, there was tremendous support and pressure um, to include him on the team. And Jacquet was really, you know, stubborn and very confident that his team, you know, which included players like Zidane, who weren't really as well-known at the time, could do well and could succeed, succeed at the 1998 World Cup in France. And he ended up being right. And after that, I think Zidane really replaced Cantona as kind of the, the king of French football. I guess it was always going to be one or the other, and perhaps Cantona's attitude um, didn't really help him out. But he also got blamed as well, didn't he, for um, the, the problem with qualifying against Bulgaria for the 94 World Cup. Do you think that always was something he couldn't get off his back? Yes. I, you know, nothing compares to the English press when it comes to scapegoating and witch hunts. <laughs> Um, but the French press know how to criticize and critique as well. So I think that, you know, Cantona has always talked about his appreciation of England and Manchester in particular because he said, you know, he always felt at home there. He always felt loved there. And he's a player, and this is also why people kind of compare him to Hassan Benarfa, is because he's a player who needed to feel loved and he needed to feel accepted and appreciated. And I don't think that he really... Um, did well in environments where that wasn't necessarily true, and um, French fans definitely, I mean, the Stade de France, constant whistling and booing, um, so I think it was probably for the best. Okay, well, let's um, let's talk about uh, Hatton Ben Arthur, because a lot of people are saying he could be, could be, on his day, if he applied himself, one of the most talented players in French football which would make me, A, question why he uh, would want to come to Newcastle, if he indeed does, and, and B, whether that's true or not. Now, I know, Sarah, you're quite a big fan of his and, and quite a big defender of his, so give us the uh, the argument in favour of why he's such a good player. 
Um, well, I think to really understand Hassan, you really kind of have to understand his background. He is, um, he's from Paris. He's from the suburb of Paris, and he was basically kind of singled out and recruited to attend Quercetin, uh, which is mm-hmm. the soccer academy in France. Um, it's it's very famous. Like Tyrion, graduated from there. William Galas, people like that. Um, and there's actually a whole documentary on his years at Clairefontaine. He has been recognized as the future of France football, French football, you know, since he was basically 12. Um, so it's tremendous pressure put on his shoulders from a very young age and a lot of attention and focus. Um, after, you know, he left there, he went to Lyon, he, and he went to their academy where he uh, played with Benzema, um, Louis Crenny, who's at Nice, and there's, you know, a lot of press about him going uh, to the EPL. And um, while, while he was there, there was still, you know, tremendous focus on him. And he's a very passionate, emotional guy. And I think that, you know, when he was really young, there was more of an attitude problem there. I think when you're constantly told when you're young that you're the best, then you obviously start to believe it. And um, I think that he... A lot of people say, you know, what went wrong? Benzema really flourished at Lyon, and Ben Arfa showed, you know, sparks of greatness, but was never really able to, you know, completely show what he was capable of. And the difference is, is that Benzema kind of got to develop, you know, in the shadows, and he got to find himself first, whereas everyone was always looking at Ben Arfa, and, and everything that he does is always under a microscope. And so he he became really defensive, and he he kind of became a little paranoid when he was young, and he wasn't listening to people, and he. He was just under tremendous pressure, and I don't really think that he was given the support in order to to really deal with all that pressure. Um, and he stayed there for a really long time until about two years ago when he transferred to Marseille. And that's because he really wasn't getting a lot of minutes of playing, and his relationships with his coaches had broken down. Um, and he went to Marseille, and he was recruited by Eric Goretz and uh, Pape Diouf, who are, have now left Marseille. And um, they really kind of took him under his wing. And he, he had some mess-ups in his first year there. There was a time, um, you know, when Marseille plays Paris, it's known as the Classico. It's this very big deal in France. And it, it's more than a football match. It's, it's like a, you know, a north versus south, you know, the gritty Marseille versus kind of the obnoxious, snobby Parisians. Uh, I guess that's my, my Marseille fan coming through. No, I think we feel like that about the South as well. Um, although I, I know, you know, this, the derbies do always have that kind of uh, edge to them, but um, that's, a, that's a pretty good way of looking at it, I think. Well, there was a point where um, Hassan Benarfa wasn't put in the starting 11. He was very angry because he's from Paris and he wanted to play. And he was asked to come on and um, he basically faked an injury. He said that he pulled something and he didn't. And from that point on, Marseille fans, I think, have been really, um, really hard on him, really critical. They never really got over that moment. And um, so while I think that there's tremendous appreciation and recognition that he's talented, there have been some incidents kind of like that, that a lot of Marseille fans are very critical. And, and, you know, I think, I think that, he just probably is never going to find the security and support that he needs in France. Um, he's very talented, but and I don't personally think that he has much of an attitude problem. I think that a lot of it is just kind of oblivious spaciness, which, you know, mentally you might need if there's that much pressure. You can't always be aware of what other people are doing and saying about you. I think it's something that he developed to protect himself, but, um, you know, he decided he was he really wanted to play for Marseille. He actually really loved the club this year. Um, he was very excited when the club, you know, won the title. He wanted to stay. He was asked by the club to leave. Um, he was told he needed to find another club and Marseille actually hired agents in addition to his own agent to help him find a club. Um, you know, his lawyer said that the club's agents actually found Newcastle um, and started that deal between the two of them. Um, and, you know, I think once Ben Arfa agreed to the deal, um, it seemed kind of inevitable that he was going to leave. And I think that most Marseille fans were, were, were they, had, they had accepted it. Um, I think we all realized that he really needs to move on in order to really be a great player. And I think most of us are France fans. So we do want him to improve. Um, 
but we just kind of know that's not going to happen at Marseille. And I, I, you know, I'm sure you know about Newcastle having had this season in the Championship last year. We are in need of creativity and, and pace, and, and certainly in midfield, that is something that you know a young and talented player who needs to be away perhaps from the limelight put on him in his own country, give him a chance to find himself, like you say, and, and maybe develop into the player we all hope he can be. Um, it could be a good fit for, for both clubs for that reason. So uh, I'm very hopeful that he does it does get official so there's no more of this uh, creeping around and, and Twitter photos of people in airports who may or may not be him in the first place. So um, thanks for that information. I wonder if I could run by you a few uh, questions we've had in from listeners who would like to know certain things about the league. Um, right, so we've had this in first from an Arsenal fan down uh, down south. What should Arsenal fans expect from Marrow and Shamak? I'm actually a big Shamak fan. Um, there are some people in Ligue 1 who are very, very critical of him. Um, I, I thought he was fantastic for Bordeaux, and I not only really um, enjoy watching him play, but as, as a person, I actually have tremendous respect for him. He was really loyal to Bordeaux for, for years and years and years. He could have transferred to a wealthier, more established club in Ligon for, for a long time. And, you know, even though Bordeaux, there's this perception that Bordeaux has been, you know, a powerhouse for a really long time, before they won the title um, just, you know, two years ago, they, they really weren't that impressive. Um, and they were certainly, you know, not nearly as wealthy. So he, he could have transferred elsewhere, and he turned down those those deals actually to stay at Bordeaux because he he's a local boy he's from there he really loved the club. A lot has been said about his you know strength of set pieces and his heading which which is tremendous. Um, I think that there was a, a point in the Champions League where like 100% they had scored seven goals in the Champions League and 100% of them were from set pieces and I think four of them were from Schmack. So he can also do um, you know score with his feet as well. I think it was against Lyon in the quarters of the Champions League where he scored. Um, a really great goal and it, everyone was shocked because it wasn't with his head it was with his foot So what do you think caused him to move this summer it, obviously people will look for an easy answer like money but was there a particular reason he, he was happier to leave this summer or do you think it was just the right move at the right time um, I, I don't think it was as much money as people would automatically think um, Shemak has always said in interviews you know, I have tremendous respect for the English League it's my favourite league outside of France you know, Arsenal fans may not know this, or they may not be happy to know this, but there were a period of time where he kept talking about Spurs and what a great club Spurs were and how they were a big club. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention that to any Arsenal fans. And um, he really is kind of a late bloomer too. And I think that partner, he needed that partnership with Gord Kouf, um to, to really find his own strength and to get some support on that Bordeaux team. And um, I think we're seeing now how much Gord Kouf really needed Shamak as well. Um, but that's, that's another story. So that seems like a fairly reasonable uh, decision, I would say. Talking about Goku, actually, yeah, well, this was a later question, but um, somebody's asked how have the French people reacted to Laurent Blanc's decision to drop the World Cup players and, and the difference it seemed to, well, the difference it didn't seem to make uh, last Wednesday. And also what you think the reaction to World Cup failures, sort of like Goku, will be on the terraces in Liga? Um, well, answering your first question, I think that. A lot of people um, were fine with dropping, um, you know, the 23 players who went to the World Cup for France. I think some people think that it's really kind of a, a fake punishment because, you know, no one really likes playing the August friendly anyway. Clubs hate it. You know, it's right before the league start. Or, you know, if you're a French player, if you're playing in France, it's right after the league start. Um, so it's not really like a like a, that harsh of a punishment anyway. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, if we're talking about there, – there was tremendous shock and, um, you know, outrage over their behavior and how they represent France. A lot of it has been discussed, you know, politically. Um, you know, Thierry Henry had a meeting with Sarkozy the, the day he arrived back in France from South Africa. A lot of, a lot of it has been used um, for political maneuvering, which I'm, I'm very skeptical of, and there's been a lot of blaming of – um, certain members of the French teams and their background for their behavior. Uh, players like Gourcusso, um have been kind of shown as victims in, in the press. You know, he was supposedly picked on. You know, he's this nice, well-educated, polite boy who, you know, was being uh, bullied by, you know, Nicolas Anelka, Ribéry, Evra. Um, so I think that, you know, if anything, the France public 
probably less than one. All right, okay. Because I've, I've heard, I mean, I don't know how much, like, you know or, or want to go into this particularly, but I've heard that there were rumours of um, racial tensions in the squad, which is obviously something that's kind of happened to other nations before Holland famously suffered from that. Do you think there was any truth to that, or was it just, you know, personality clashes and, and various ego problems that more than anything deeper, you think? Um, I think that there are definitely socioeconomic divisions within the France squad. Um, I think some of it is personality. Um, someone like Gourcouf, he's incredibly polite, but he, I mean, even interviews with his father, you know, he's, he's from Britannia, so they kind of have that reputation of being, um, you know, not nearly as emotional, uh, more withdrawn, just not as outwardly friendly, like very polite when you speak to him, but he's not yeah. necessarily um, an extrovert. He's definitely more of an introvert. And then when you mix that with people, you know, like Ribéry or Evra or Nelka, who are just, you know, much more emotional, they're going to say exactly what's on their mind, like, all the time. Um, you know, I would say they don't really have a filter. Um, I think that, you know, naturally those types of people just aren't going to be drawn to each other. And I think that there may be some resentment in the France squad towards Gorkouf possibly because, you know, he was really embraced by the French public, and, you know, he really hasn't done that much for the France national team. So there's kind of some resentment of, why do you get to be this golden boy when you really haven't done that much for France, you know, when I've been playing for years? Well, uh, let's talk briefly about, we, we have, we, well, we used to do a thing on the podcast, um, which was a, a young up-and-coming player to watch out for, and we kind of have got a little bit slack with doing that, really. But we um, spoke to Raphael Honigstein uh about some players coming through in the German league, and he was he was mentioning a few names, and we've had one actually from a listener saying, "Is this Jimmy Brian's year to announce himself on the European stage after the move from Rennes to Lyon, and any other youngsters to watch in Liga next season that we should keep an eye out for?" Um, I I mean that's kind of what people are wondering is is this the year where we're going to see how good Jimmy Brian is, and if you're a France fan, you know, on the international level, you really, really hope that he can finally find find himself because he's had a, a bit of a rough career and it's kind of ironic that the moment he transferred from, you know, Rennes to Lyon, you know, Rennes is having this great start to the season and Lyon is not really doing so well. So uh, I wonder if he's rethinking his decision. Probably not <laughs> as we get through the end. Um, but, uh, you know, Brianna's had an interesting career in the sense that he also went to Clermontan, which is um, the place where I was talking about where Ben Arfa was first kind of discovered. Um, no documentary about him, though. Uh, and then he, he went to Rennes, and he had a, a couple of seasons where he did pretty well. Um, you know, he scored 10 goals, I think, for them in the 06 or 07 season. He only scored five last year, but um, he actually, like, ruptured a ligament in his knee when he was um, practicing with the France national team. And in March of 09, and so he didn't actually start his season until really late. Um, or sorry, maybe it was March of 08. He didn't start his season until really late in the year, um, until October. So, I mean, he was okay considering he just came back from injury. He scored five goals for them in all last year. Um, and, I mean, he kind of remains, you know, he's obviously a hope, but will he ever develop into an actually really good player? I mean, if anyone can do it, maybe at Lyon, he's got Lissandra Lopez there to help him, um, who um, has been unavailable for Lyon, though. And, um, yeah, I, I think it could be his year if he's okay with the competition at Lyon. And he'll definitely get more support, at least from the midfield there, which you probably wouldn't know it from the first two games. Great. Well, we'll keep an eye out for him. And um, we'll have a try. We, we're trying to keep a, a note and keep a lookout for players later on in the season. We'll see... Um, how he's been doing. Our last question uh, of the day comes uh, to regarding um, Arles Avignon, who have just been uh, promoted, I believe, and in fact have been promoted four of the past five seasons, I've been reliably told. And he's actually phrased the question, perhaps slightly unfortunately given this weekend's results, but do um, newly promoted Arles Avignon have a prayer this season? Are they the Blackpool of League 1? Now, obviously, Blackpool just hammered uh, Wigan on their opening uh, game, so they're looking pretty impressive right now, but I think it's... Uh, fairly accepted that they'll struggle this season. Uh, do we think that they've got a chance of, of staying in the division? Um, well, miracles do happen, and they seem to happen often for all. So you never know. But, I mean, I think a lot of fans, particularly in Ligue 1, and, you know, even a Marseille fan like myself, Arles is very close to Marseille, um, could really just kind of, 
you know, rooting for them to do well. So one of the big kind of question marks coming into the season was how are they going to meet the requirements that are needed in order to qualify for playing in Liga? And one of them is needing a stadium with at least 17,000 people capacity. And um, they actually had to, within like two months, you know, find the capital and construct a stadium that could hold that many people. And their stadium before, I think, only held like 9,000. Um, and, you know, it's not only, you know, the people, it's, you know, making sure there are enough bathrooms and media centers and uh, places for commentators to sit and stuff like that. And they, they literally worked up until the deadline, which was yesterday, August 14th, which was the first home game. They had the game there last night. So I I think that's a good sign for the season. I, I, can't, I can't really say that they're definite for next season. They'll definitely be in Liga. You know, they seem to be able to pull off the miracles pretty frequently lately. So. Well, if they've managed to get a stadium built in time on schedule and to the right specifications, they ought to have a word with the people who put Wembley together and maybe we can... Uh, <laughs> Maybe they can learn a few uh, things from them. So, um, Sarah, thank you very much for your time this evening, or this afternoon, I guess. Um, it's time for us to draw our chat to a close. So uh, I'd just like to say thanks very much, and hopefully we'll speak to you again sometime. Thanks for having me. I'm Jamie Redknapp. Didier Drogba's literally on fire. Football log. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, she's, um, as I said in the interview there, she's been getting proper abuse off um, Newcastle fans with this uh, Hatton Ben Arthur signing and I don't know why they turned on her about it but the 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 sort of thing people have been saying I know that you only meant that ironically but uh, people have actually been saying that sort of thing to her on this was it's really really stupid <laughs> actually I'll tell you what it she, she clearly knows more about football than any of us especially the people who are saying that stuff to her so they shouldn't be throwing stones at me well I, I was at the uh, game yesterday between Sheffield United and QPR and uh, the Lions woman on the right hand side was a woman oh my god, god. Oh, and she made an awful, awful decision. It's very rare that the Football League show will bother showing anything other than the goals. But yeah. they actually showed uh, the penalty that wasn't given uh, for us. And it was a stone wall penalty. There is still turf being turned, <laughs> as we see, uh, from just this horror show of a challenge right in front of her. She was just completely opposite it. Great view. Nothing. And uh, she got so much abuse after that. I mean, even what I found funny was a lot of blokes sort of leapt off their seat and got as close as they could to her, and they'd be literally a couple of yards from her. Yes. Yeah. This dog's abuse. And I thought, oh, crikey, I thought. And then women were just sort of joining in, going, <laughs> yes, stupid bitch. And you're just thinking, ah, oh, this is great stuff. I mean, this is just taking my mind off the horrific football. Football. Um, watching her. Yeah, yeah, the game getting, that brings us all together. Yeah, getting, uh, getting dogs, literally dogs abuse. You sent, so, uh, me, um, you sent me a text during the game that uh, said that you'd never seen a better midfield performance than that of Adel Tarab. Uh, more complete. More complete, sorry, yeah. Would you like to expand on that at all? Because he was in our team of the championship from last season, if you remember. Yeah, he was someone that I'd seen last season play to QPR on loan from Tottenham. They've yeah. signed him now for a pretty good fee, actually. I think he's only a million pounds. And what a talent. Neil Warnock has said he's the best player in the championship. He, on yesterday's display, and I say this having seen... Only three games this season. <laughs> he is the best player. Oh, not even the championship, the world. This guy... Really? Is he going to replace Adam Johnson, though, as future world player of the year? Arguably going to replace Adam Johnson. And if he carries on like this, um, I mean, I say this tentatively, and let's not get overexcited here, he may replace Jamie Pollock. My God, man. But do I look like him? I don't really look like him, do I? You don't look anything like Adal Tarab. And that's probably a good thing. That's probably so. a good thing for him and his image rights uh, in the future, I would say. I was just about to say, if he wants to advertise the kind of products that certainly Lionel Messi has and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, then yeah, best not to look anything like you. But he's yeah, got thanks very much. Every- All right, mate. He's got everything. He's got uh, he's, a tra- he's a tracking back, which I didn't think he had in his locker. He's just he got, got criticised a lot for that last season. So he's obviously well, this is what the one thing that was in sight when the program was Neil Warnock said the reason Tottenham let him go was his inconsistency. Right. They're going to work on that consistency and make sure he does do his shift. And yeah. he definitely did. He was all over the pitch. Basically playing just behind a striker, but you could find him in, in the penalty area on both sides. Uh, just absolutely everywhere. Demanding the ball. You can tell when someone's having a good game when they're just constantly, like, even when they're marked by three players, like, yeah, give me the ball. And yeah. the thing he would get it, and those three players would be standing, watching him work his amazing trickery. And he was in such confined spaces, and he'd find a way out. It was superb. He also scored, and uh, he set up a goal as well. He just looked every bit the Premiership player, and it's very rare that you spot an opposition player. You know, they have to do quite well. Yeah. People around say, who's, who's that number seven? And I sort of say, Ed Alterab. And they go, Ed Alterab. And then they have a look at the programme. I've never heard of him. But anyway, 
he'll yeah. he'll be a name they'll now remember because of that. Good. Well, I mean, you, you're right, and that's an interesting point that you say that the, there's a sort of cliche in football. Well, not cliche, but it's been touted around by a few sort of former world class players that the best players always want the ball. And like you say, no matter how many players are around you or how many, you know, what sort of difficult situation you might be getting in, or even if you've had a bad game so far, I suppose, or a frustrating one perhaps. The best sign of a good player. Yeah, the best players they always demand the ball and 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 you know need it off players, and and that's good. I think that's a good sign. Uh, you know, good luck to them, I, I say. So long as they don't finish above uh, Sheffield United, who, as you know, are my second team. I think they will. <laughs> okay, well, that's up to you to decide. We had a little discussion about second teams on um, on the uh, on the log, and, and people have got various uh, suggestions there. I, I always think the second team thing is an interesting one to, to put out, because people don't always want to, you know, admit... You've got to be but, careful, haven't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. It sounds like you've, you've got to split loyalties, like when you said earlier on the previous log... Of this two-parter, oh, how's current team? God, it didn't sit well with me that because obviously did I say, did I like, say current team? Yeah, as a joke because of my like maidenhead. I was saying. Oh yeah, yeah, head. sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, they'll never, never replace the Blake. And also, what are the rules for having a second team? Like, can you have a second team in the same division as your first team? I suppose you can't really, can you? Oh no, that's like having Real Madrid C promoted to the same league as Real Madrid B, yeah, and Real Madrid B being promoted to the same as Real Madrid. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. So obviously my second team are Sheffield United, and I are yours Newcastle. Yes. No. Yes, that's right. They are. <laughs> yeah, yours and me. I York. don't care. Couldn't care less. Well, thanks very much. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> we've got Celtic um, Bish, Dave Bishop. Sorry, someone's got to stop calling him Bish. He's actually called David. Uh, he's a Spurs fan, and his unpopular his unpopular second choice are Leeds United. Um, probably, I guess, because he's, he's a Leeds boy. But then so am I, and then at my second team. But uh, I suppose it takes all sorts to make a world, doesn't it? And in fact, Adam Wilson... Living in Leeds for so long, as we both did, yeah. has actually led us to hate Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Adam Wilson wins this one again for saying, Hallam Paul Football Log FC. We should start that. Uh, we should put together some sort of five-a-side team. If only either of us had, uh, you know, were living in the same city or had any sort or of physical fitness. made up five people. Yeah. Harry Goodwin says Valencia or Crystal Palace. Now, where the hell does that come from? Crystal Palace, the only club of the 92 whose name starts with five continents. Well done for those of you who got that right in the uh, trivia section. But, you know, Valencia, quite a big club, I would say, and, and Crystal Palace, I suppose, had their day, but not really on the same level. I wonder why he's chosen them. Get in touch, Harry. Let us know what, uh, what caused you to pick them. Because I put Piacenza from Italy, and as you know, I don't know anything about them whatsoever, but I've always had a soft spot for them in, in my... Yeah, you, you know so little about them that when, uh, when we were a bit younger... I'd say. So your your team's Vicenza, and you'd be like, yep. No, wait a minute, no, Piacenza. Yeah, well, I, you <laughs> know, it's an, easy, it's an easy mistake to make, mm. as you know. So, um, yeah, thanks for getting involved with uh, with all of that, loggers. It's always uh, well appreciated. And, in fact, I, ca- I can't put Facebook on at the moment because it's too slow because people keep um, messaging me about uh, a recent announcement, and uh, it's very nice that they're doing that. But, actually, I'm trying to record a podcast here, so uh, if you don't mind... Uh, if you could stop doing that, although they won't hear this until after they've done it, I suppose. So um, stop slowing my internet connection down. Excellent idea. It's no good. So let's uh, draw this whole sorry exercise to a close. But I want to talk about Premiership predictions. A lot of people have said there could be a massive change in the radar and the landscape of the Premiership this season with, obviously, Manchester City and their big signing and the troubles that Liverpool had last year and a couple of signings for Arsenal, especially if this apparent signing of a new keeper goes through. What do you think the table might look like at the end of the season? Oh, it'd be really fascinating, wouldn't it? It'd be just like you mentioned actually Arsenal. We'll just go back to that briefly. Are you yeah. talking about Mark Schwarzer? I was, yeah. Well, because of course there's rumours about Given possibly because Joe Hart's playing so well, but um, I don't know if Man City are going to be keen to sell a good goalkeeper like Given to a direct rival, which I suppose Arsenal will be. Whereas Fulham maybe, you know, I think Schwarzer's also an excellent keeper, but they they may have more luck with Fulham than they would with City. Well, Schwarzer's made his position quite clear. So I think he wants to leave, so that makes it a bit easier. It's a difficult position, now. isn't it, now? Because Arsenal have said they want a new goalkeeper, so whoever they start today against Liverpool is surely going to have that playing in the back of their mind. And Schwartz has said he wants to leave, and if it doesn't go through for him, you know... I mean, I'm sure this happens all the time in football, but how hard do you think players probably find it to win back over the fans of a club that they um, said they wanted to leave? Do you think it can ever really happen? Jens Lehmann put it very tactfully for fans of Middlesbrough and Fulham and Bradford when he said that uh, Mark Schwartz has never played for a big club. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's that's Jens Lehmann. He loves a bit of uh, being an idiot, doesn't he? He's he's a great comedy figure. 
enjoyed very much booing him at Wembley when uh, England played Germany there. Did um, So who do you think is going to win it then? Because obviously Chelsea kicked off in, in, in great style. Man United won the Charity Shield, or Community Shield, whatever the hell it's called these days. And it's, it, most people are saying it's going to be between those two teams again. Do you well, think, it, A, that that's yeah. right, and B, which one of them do you think will... Winning is interesting, but just before I get onto that, I would just like to say, uh, great to see David Stockdale playing for Fulham as a player I saw playing for York and Darlington. If he could, because of now the lack of options, become an England goalkeeper, uh, it would be, first of all, a shame that neither York or Darlington have any sell-on clauses. Yes. Things I've heard about the contractual disputes that went on there. Uh, but for the lad, who, uh, who, as you know, I've had the chance to meet, yeah, wonderful, really, yeah. really great. Oh, he, was a, he was a builder less than five years ago, so that really? would be absolutely so that's just one sort of side thing. Which I personally always think these side stories are more interesting than who's going to win the Premiership. Yeah, you know? definitely. definitely. But they, did you, did you know, like talking about people who had second careers, do you know that Stuart Pearce was an electrician and carried on training through his first couple of seasons at Forest because he didn't think he was going to make it? I've read his book, yeah. He's also a punk rocker as well. Yes, he, he introduced the Sex Pistols, didn't he, at their uh, reunion gig. You can see that in him, though. He's got a bit of that about him anyway. It's not a huge surprise, is it? There are one or two things that you find out about players and you think, oh, that's a bit of a surprise. I found out yesterday that uh, Richard Cresswell uh, only goes on holiday in the UK and um, has a VW camper van as his means of transport. Really? Hmm. Frankly, well, I did not know that. Yeah, there are things... I, I found something out yesterday, which is that Jody Craddock, uh, on his Twitter account, describes himself as Premiership footballer and artist. Really? So sort of as in painting? or? Do I, I think so, part? yeah. I, I, I tried to have a look into it, but I was... Um, I was kind of tweeting at the same time as keeping up with the scores, and it was because he'd been um, in trouble uh, because of the, the Kenwin Jones tackle that I I got a, um, a, a tweet from Jackie Oatley at the BBC uh, to a couple of people, and she said, you know, I had a look at the, uh, the Jody Credit thing, and I realised he was on Twitter, so I had a look at it, and it said, you know, in the biography part, uh, Premiership footballer and artist. So I'll have to look into that a bit more um, in a bit more of a detailed manner and see whether we can uh, maybe get some of his work up on the website. <laughs> uh, be Neil, Neil Dan's um, of, of Birmingham, formerly of Crystal Palace, he's, uh, or is he currently at Crystal Palace, formerly of Birmingham? Yeah, currently at Crystal Palace, I think. That way round. Uh, he is uh, going to be releasing a rap album very soon, well, following in the footsteps of Andy Cole. I was going to say, who can forget uh, Andy Cole, Andrew Cole, uh, and his fabulous uh, single. There was also, of course, uh, Diamond Lights is the classic and Fog on the Tyne. Uh, it always goes down well. The football songs, you don't get a lot of them nowadays, do you? You don't tend to find footballers doing that kind of thing. Footballers are embarrassed. Things like advisors. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. But I tend to find footballers embarrass themselves in more, um, in, in kind of less enjoyable ways nowadays. But uh, yeah. there is a vicious rumour flying around that Wayne Rooney's going to be in the next Jedwood video. I don't know if you've heard this. Like, I don't know where, I've, I can't even remember where I got it from. So it's almost certainly not true. But that would be a, a bit of a turn up for the books, wouldn't it? It would be, yeah. Actually, as well, vicious rumours going around. There's a lot of things that could, if they are true, uh, ruin certain footballers' careers. And I think um, Frank Ribery's story at the moment. Um, yeah, well, yeah, he's uh, certainly in line to be in quite a bit of trouble, isn't he? And um, Peter Crouch as well, of all people. Um, well, I know, but his his missus is gonna. I read yesterday in uh, the Sun, so uh, reliable. It must uh, be true. That, uh, she she is gonna stick stick by him, and I don't know what. What Slater? What comes no, it's a, it's a difficult choice. It's a difficult call, isn't it? Because of course they're not married, so I guess she wouldn't be entitled to any of his money. Well, I don't know why you'd go to that. Uh, yeah, that's not very fair. Is it? Yeah. And it's probably his looks. He's, he's, he's probably because he's such a good-looking guy. Um, yeah, he will be. I don't know, I always quite liked Peter Crouch and Abby Clancy. I always thought they were kind of strangely incompatible but charming couple. But obviously, there's some sort of you know uh, deeper. Um, horribleness going on behind the scenes. I don't understand this kind of uh, opinion among professional footballers. They seem to live in this bubble where it's just all right to be unfaithful to your better half as often as you feel like. I don't know why. I, think they, I don't know at what point the rules change. There is uh, probably a psychologist that would look far deeper into this and say it's something along the lines of they get it on a plate if they want it, left, right, and centre. So yeah. The thrill of uh, paying for it is uh, probably they know they shouldn't, they know they can't, and that they do it. And wow, isn't this exciting? That's probably why that has happened in the past and does happen on this occasion. The adrenaline thing, I suppose. Yeah, possibly. I'm no, not sure that I'm not sure that that would stand up as a good excuse if you were faced with a furious girlfriend. I don't know. It wouldn't, but uh, it might be the real reason behind it. Maybe. Well, if only this was the Helen Paul psychology log, eh? But uh, <laughs> since it's not, I think that would be a good time to call to an end today's rather long, rather enjoyable, I have found session. Uh, hopefully all the emails saying how shit we are this time will uh, go to our spam folder and I won't read them. Uh, but don't I think forget... more relevant uh, this time round. <laughs> uh, 
anyway. Well, you were, thanks very much for your support. If even you're saying it, you know, then that's not good, <laughs> is it? But um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, the, 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 the football, football project. No, I, no, yeah. No, I realise that it's uh, it's in its infancy. Really, we're not used to it, and we do tend to spark off each other a little bit better when we're in the you know same room. And who would have thought such a thing would be true? But uh, nevertheless, I think we've grown into the role a little bit more. And if it has to happen again, then maybe it will. And uh, hopefully, we'll get as much face time as we can between now and your departure. Yeah, what a thought. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait. Uh, so don't forget Facebook. There is a group. There is a fan site. There is. Uh, you can find all those fairly easy by just typing in football log. Get us on iTunes, uh, jellycast.com as well if you need to, and follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash football log, and send us emails at football underscore log at yahoo.co.uk. That, I think, concludes the business of the day, and so I will wish you farewell, Mr. Hal Stewart. I wish you adieu, and goodbye to all our loggers out there. We'll speak to you next time.